Hello everyone and welcome to the first of our interview series here at Hybrid Network. For this episode, we sat down with screenwriter and producer Edward Neumeyer, who is behind such projects like Robocop and Starship Troopers. For this interview, I tag-teamed it with CJ, who will be handling a lot of the interviews in the upcoming future now. We have another special guest lined up this upcoming week, which should be pretty cool, but it was a pleasure to sit down and talk with Ed about a variety of things that he's been involved with and is currently involved with, upcoming projects like the new Robocop film from Neil Blomkamp, and a potential Starship Troopers TV reunion, which she exclusively revealed details to us about. All that and more in the full interview, so sit back and enjoy. Yeah, I guess uh, if we all are ready, we can kind of dive into this interview. Uh, so, sure. uh, first up, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Robocop. Uh, what, okay. in your opinion, do you think has still made the film so relevant today? Like, I mean, like we just mentioned, people still love it, uh, it's still something that you know it's people look back on it's one of the most regarded sci-fi films like what do you think has had that long-standing uh notoriety with it well normally i would say because of all the really really cool ideas in the script and it's very prescient and it looked forward and uh, you know it's about an autonomous uh, drone and a cybernetic uh, thing blah 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 but actually now i think it's because uh paul verhoeven directed it and he is a truly, truly genius, talented guy. And it's just hard to overestimate his impact on why the film works, I think, so well still. you know. Uh, I think also uh, credit has to go to the other collaborators. John Davison, the uh, producer, I think, was very smart. He was smart with me. He was smart with the way he developed and encouraged the screenplay with me and Michael Miner when we wrote it. Uh, he was smart enough, even though I was a giant pain in the ass, to let me hang around the production the entire time. <laughs> and I was able to work with uh, Paul Verhoeven pretty supportively and other people like Rob Bottin, who did The Suit, and uh, Phil Tippett, who did Ed 209, all just completely the best of the best. So in some ways, if you look back on Robocop, which was made for just under $14 million, it had this complete dream cast on it. I mean, dream crew on it. And the cast was also quite good. Uh, we were very lucky in the casting. I think uh, Kurtwood Smith and Nancy Allen and Peter Weller, of course, uh, who oh, took yeah. it very seriously. And uh, and really, mm. I, you know, it's sort of a miracle in a way that something works that well. But I do think it has much has to go back to the director and the producer who sort of uh, put together that team. <clears throat> right, right. And I also wanted to touch on the fact that uh, MGM is now... Uh, reportedly revisiting RoboCop with Neil Blomkamp, and I think you're involved with that too. Yeah, I'm a I'm a producer at the moment. They uh, we talked about it uh, a couple years back, and I, I I reminded them that we had written a very rough sequel back in 1988, <clears throat> which uh, then was uh, stopped by the writers' strike uh, same year. And uh, they, they looked at it, and they said, oh, good. And so we did some more work on that. And then Neil Bloomkamp found out about it, and he said, I have always wanted to do this. This is my dream project. And huh. MGM was very, very pleased to get into business with him. Uh, so they are uh, Neil Bloomkamp and his, his screenwriter, Justin Rhodes, have done a pass on... Uh, the script that we were writing on, and they're doing another one, and we are in hope. 
there's some, it is a different, slightly different concept in some ways than we were originally doing, Neil wants to do, and I don't want to talk too much about it because somebody will call me and tell me to shut up, but, um, uh, but I, we're, we're hopeful, and I think Neil really, really wants to make a good RoboCop movie. His idea is to, you know, that it should be the proper Verhoeven, you know, as, as, if Verhoeven had directed a movie right after uh, yeah. RoboCop, I think that's what he's trying to achieve there, and I, I hope he does. We'll see uh, uh, what happens next. Yeah, um, well, just touching on that for one quick second, uh, with the sure. fact that MGM is doing another RoboCop film, I mean, we knew that Sony, had, I think, had done their take on RoboCop. I think you were also involved with that a few years ago. Is there any reason well, that you feel like that film didn't really uh, catch audiences as much? Oh, you're talking about the, you're talking about, so, although it was, that was still MGM, the way it works is that oh, MGM okay, actually yeah. controls RoboCop, right, and right. they made the movie with Sony, and Sony released it in a bunch of different places. Um, we got credit on that, because my, my writing partner, Michael Miner, and I, we received credit on that in, an, in a WGA arbitration. We didn't have anything to do with the movie. Right. Uh, we came in at the very end, and uh, I actually got to meet everybody in an interesting way they had worked you know whenever you come in at the end of a big movie like that you you have to re you realize uh, if you look that everybody's exhausted they've all just had the stuffing knocked out of them <laughs> for various reasons <laughs> everybody from the st head of the studio all the way down to the you know the the people on the movie and uh, so i actually kind of went around and, and interviewed everybody about their experience and uh, jose padilla the uh... Um, Jose, I'm sorry, Jose uh, Padilla, the Brazilian director, I, is, is really a talented guy. He had a, a very specific take on it. Um, I think they were a little bit afraid to get, they, they did not want to do an R rating because they felt it would not be uh, commercial throughout the world. And it's possible they were right because it did well enough in China that they're talking about doing another one. Um, I think that the, the, the humor and the politics of it were something they struggled with a little bit. Yeah. And I think that humor is important to the movie because otherwise it's just grim. And that's always been a little bit of a mystery to people other than myself and John Davison and Paul Verhoeven was this notion that things could be both thrilling and serious and funny. The funny part seems to have thrown people over the years. So anyway, mm. that's, how, that's my feeling about what... I think these movies don't... I, I'm, it's not just me. Uh, Verhoeven actually said he, he thought that of that movie that they had, they had not understood that, that the lightness, the humor, was important. Right. And that may be true. And so we're speaking trying, of... We're hopefully, hopefully we're going to do... This next one, when it, <laughs> it gets made, will be a little funnier. <laughs> And speaking of that and kind of the tone and um, what Paul brought to, to RoboCop, what did you think of his film uh, Total Recall? And do you think that RoboCop and, and the specific tone that it had rubbed off on that film? Um, I mean, they kind of feel oh, like absolutely. in a way that they could I be set I... in the, the same universe almost. Well, they are. I think that Total Recall, absolutely Total Recall, I think that with RoboCop, if you look at Paul's work before RoboCop, with some exceptions, like in Soldier of Orange, there's actually some interesting humor and some stuff with the media that, that, that prefigures without me even knowing it, or Paul, you know, that, that he would be able to do mm. the stuff we did in, in Robo and Starship. Um, so I think that, that he did, uh, he took on Total right after RoboCop, and I think that, that I think he took the style 
that he had sort of played around with and moved it into total. Because I think the total had been, you know, there had been drafts of Total Recall where it was completely serious. There had actually been a, some sort of strange comedy version of it. And the, the version he made was much more in keeping, I would say, with the tone that you see in RoboCop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought it worked. It, you know, it's a, rather, it's a rather successful movie even now. In fact, it, I would say it, it aged better than you would think. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, did you want to, uh, was there anything that you wanted to add to that one? Uh, no, I just, I guess, um, like going back to the whole like idea of like the tone and everything, the satirical tone of the films, uh, it's so funny how they tried to do another Total Recall recently and it just didn't work for that very reason. You know, it wasn't funny. Yeah, but they, and I was, I was, I had the um, misfortune or, or I don't know, maybe academically the fortune to be around the people who were making it a little bit, yeah. and they were they were kind of oh we're not going to do that funny stuff. They were <laughs> they were almost uh, like they were certain that they had the way to do it, and it was going to be and they I think they were really shocked that it that it was not uh, received better than it was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just look back at the original Total Recall. It's such a classic because of the the tone of it the over the top violence and everything uh, Schwarzenegger's performance I mean he's just like you can't well Schwarzenegger <laughs> gives you in some ways Schwarzenegger gives you some of that tone yeah, so exactly, you know yeah. and 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 some and I you know I love Colin uh, Farrell but he he doesn't strike <laughs> you as that kind of slightly bigger than life no. you know over the top character that that Schwarzenegger had. Absolutely, and kind of speaking to kind of the, the you know the over the top and then the original RoboCop and everything like that. Clarence Boddicker, I mean, might be one of the most iconic movie villains from the '80s. And in your original RoboCop sequel script, uh, what kind of villains were you considering for for that film? If you can talk about that, I don't know how much of that is being brought into the new one, and if that's well, there sort of, is. Uh, we have we have we have uh, we had some ideas. Uh, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but we had some ideas about. Uh, uh, shall we say, the future of augmented humans. And uh, one of our villains that we were, one of the villains is that the other villains, uh, the other villain lives in the corporate world uh, uh, sub- somewhat as before. But, uh, you know, we, the, the RoboCop thing for me was always exploring sort of man's uh, or human relationship with technology, coping particularly. Mm. And, I, and I put the emphasis on coping because, I think that when I was coming up, there were all these uh, movies and ideas about, you know, technology was going to kill you and you should reject technology or watch, you know, whatever. And I, I don't think we're in a position, I never thought we were in a position to reject technology that we had to somehow cope with it. And mm-hmm. to me, that's part of the RoboCop world. Back to your original question, why is RoboCop so relevant? And I think it's to some extent relevant because we're still coping with technology. And mm-hmm. those kind of... and. You know, interestingly, to, if you since we're talking today, I would say, gee, technology makes people meaner uh, yeah. and behave meaner, and uh, at least the way I'm looking at it today. And I would say the world of RoboCop is a pretty mean little world. You know, people are are vicious and 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 uh, if left to their own devices, hardly ever do the right thing. Our mm-hmm. heroes do, but but the rest of the world is in it out for themselves. And although. It seemed like that was happening a little bit in the 80s when we wrote it. Uh, it seems like it's happening more than ever now. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how that's happened. Uh, you know, especially like you, you mentioned, we're still dealing with technology even even more so, I think. Is there any 
when you were writing RoboCop, could you have foreseen like the level to which that, you know, we're kind of integrating technology in our daily lives now where everybody's uh, got this computer interface? You know, in their we, pocket all, and... we all miss the we all miss the Internet. Yeah. Uh, at some level, the uh, the the although RoboCop, I mean, Starship has that right, you know, has the Internet is built into that one. But the Internet was not kind of there. There is a there is a little device that looks strangely like a, an iPhone in it at a certain point. But that was just by accident, you know, that we had talked about miniaturization or that kind of thing. You know, I think we were, we were all very interested in what people were saying the future might bring uh, at that point. So we were all geared into looking at that and, and um, you know, uh, speculative stuff that we could figure out. And to some extent, we got a lot of it right. And then, you know, we missed things, too. Um, it doesn't surprise me. To answer your question about what's happening now, it doesn't surprise me. It's a little bit, uh, um, I think the speed and the disruption of it was, is something I'm still coping with, you know, and, and we, are, we all are. In other words, I don't think we're really ahead of the Internet runs so fast and hot. Uh, if you just look at this thing that's happened the last couple of days with these kids wearing Trump hats on the mall and everybody mm. making one, jumping to one conclusion and then, oh, it's a little more nuanced than that. And then the amusing thing is, is some of the people who uh, don't want that nuance. They just want to think what they want to think. And that, I think, is, a, is an aspect of technology that we didn't anticipate. Yeah, the multiple angles for every single event. Yeah, I mean, the, you know. well, we used to be able to say there was a period in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s where intellectual people, intellectuals would say, well, there's the Rashomon effect. You don't really know. It depends on what, how you're looking at it. We mm. seem to have forgotten that completely at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll get it back. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, so I guess jumping over to like what we were saying, Starship Troopers, uh, I wanted to ask, with the development of the original film that you, do, you did with Paul, was there anything that actually got left out of the script, or was there any changes that were kind of significant or anything that got taken out of that film? The biggest, the, the biggest change from the first draft to the second draft, and the movie is more or less the second draft, was the elimination of um, the power suits. Mm. Well, the power suits stayed in for a while, but the power suits going out was a big that was partially a production and partially a, you know, I think that had to do with the way Paul saw it. Paul was not as interested in the, you know, the giant mechanical suits. He wanted to see people and soldiers that he could recognize as such. So losing power armor, which was a big deal if you were a Heinlein fan. And then the other big change that was made was instead of trying to have a sort of a, um, a intelligent talking insect race, which is what's implied in the uh, Heinlein book, we went with giant bugs a la them, which I mm. think was, again, a very smart on Paul's part because it gave you something you had not seen before or not seen in a long time, as opposed to George Lucas' anthropomorphic kind of, well, that's a, that's a thing that has multiple legs, but it talks to you like or has some communication ability. It's these giant things, and you don't even know how to cope with them and that was the 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 thing that i was playing around with with starship was trying to make a statement about xenophobia so it was interesting to me that the bugs were so completely unknowable and unapproachable and that the reaction one of the things that's amusing to me in starship troopers is it was written during the first wave of pc during the early 90s early and mid 90s and so the world is a very pc world 
everything works except there's a giant you know everybody's a, in in uniform and they're and they are in a, and they have a enemy that there is no understanding for at all it is mm. the only understanding is you have to kill these things or they're going to kill you so it, that's an interesting political dynamic that the whole that kind of suffuses the whole world of starship troopers to me yeah, definitely. Um, do you feel like a little bit of Heinlein's book kind of rubbed off on like stuff like Ender's Game too? Like, I mean, they they also deal with like. Well, oh, I'm and... sure. Listen, Robert Heinlein. I owe a great deal to Robert Heinlein because when I was 13 years old and I read Starship Troopers, it really stuck with me. I'd read other of his juveniles and some of his adult books, but he was the man at that time, the dean of science fiction, and he rubbed off on everybody. Sure, Ender's Game and the Forever War, oh, yeah. and I'm not a big sci-fi guy, but I know about that stuff. I think, to tell you the truth, I think that um, The Stars Are My Destiny by Bessler was something that rubbed off on, uh, on Heinlein. He had, hmm. the, he had the, the, the kind of power armor starts with Bessler, I think. Hmm. Although, in, with Bessler's stuff, power armor is on the inside, a la... Logan, you know, and so yeah, all of that stuff I think rubs off on all of the stuff, and and and, and everybody steals everything they can, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, I, I think Heinlein was hugely influential. Um, people are very nice t- to us about Starship. The you know what Paul and I did in the adaptation of the book was we really flipped it on its head, and and it's not some people who loved Heinlein and who were very serious about the, the military and philosophical aspects of it have not been so happy with me. But most people <laughs> are amused. And many, many people in the military think it's just the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, they really like it. And it, it, does, um, it does honor military culture in, in a lot of ways by purpose. Uh, it, it does put, it questions, you know, the human, what human beings are doing and why they're doing it interestingly it's through i mean the people who are doing it are we're pretty sympathetic to sometimes we don't know if what they're doing is the right thing but we're still sympathetic to them which i think is kind of interesting absolutely you mentioned kind of everybody borrows from everybody uh, i mean it seems to us that like you know especially with how the you know the starship troopers like you said the military culture and sort of the culture we see ingrained in that movie it seems like james cameron might have borrowed from that a little bit Liberally in making no, the bug, uh, they, there's references in Aliens to Bug Hunt, and and he yeah. probably did ab- absolutely no. He I think I think he didn't he couldn't do power armor either, but he did. He had those kind of big guns that were gimbaled like steady cams and stuff like that. So he was very aware of of that, and the the idea that they're going on a bug hunt and they call the aliens bugs is definitely a reference, I believe, to Starship Troopers. I don't. I'm not going to say absolutely that Jim Cameron took that from Starship Troopers because he might come over and beat me up. But, <laughs> I was going to say, throw, uh, throw but, some shots yeah. out there. Start some, uh, you know, this might get picked up by TMZ. <laughs> no, no, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, uh, of, of Mr. Cameron. He's okay by me. And, uh, and I think that some, some people have compared, you know, Robocop probably wouldn't have been made by Orion if Terminator hadn't been a success. Mm, yeah, so I owe him that already. So was, uh, the kind of the follow-up to that that we had uh, was, would you ever consider potentially writing something for the Alien universe? And are there any other established science fiction franchises that you've ever uh, wanted to or considered, uh, you know, working within? You know, I, probably, I, I don't know if I work and play well enough to do that. But, but you know, I, I do like military. I, I kind of like warrior cultures, actually, cops and, and, mm. and uh, you know, soldiers and stuff like that. And... Um, so I don't know, maybe, 
I would if somebody certainly if somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, do you do you like this idea?" The thing that I'm not as into that I think you have to be into for Aliens is it's kind of a monster movie, and I'm although there's monsters in Starship, and allegedly you know RoboCop is kind of a monster if you want to make him a creature. Um, I, I'm not that's not my favorite thing. Although I've, I've I've worked with some people who really are good at creatures and stuff like that. Yeah, like I think there's Phil people Tippett. who do that better than I. Yeah. Oh, Phil Tippett's amazing. Phil Tippett is one of is a Ber, 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 is a Bernini level artist, along with uh, uh, Rob Bottin. That I was. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you. I now know. I always thought I was lucky, but I didn't know that that it was. You know, without those guys, this wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, those guys are amazing. They're all their stuff. They really are. Like... <laughs> Absolutely, and as you, you know, as you I, said, I, the, uh, one of the great experiences for me has actually just been to be able to hang out with Botin and Phil Tippett at, for extended periods and talk about other things. They're they're just really fascinating people. Absolutely. Well, going back to something you said, I mean, it sounds like you've been a fan of the Star Trip, uh, Starship Troopers, the original Heinlein novel, for uh, a huge chunk of your life. Uh, now that there's talk of a reboot, we talked about this a little bit in our in our last interview. Uh, is there anything in particular you'd like to see brought to this new reboot? Uh, and if you were given free reign to write a reboot, how would you tackle that? Well, I'm on. I have a mixed feelings about it because I think that what what we did with the first Starship is almost not repeatable in a way. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it seems like it is, but it's got just this kind of. Uh, uh, it's like a timeless you know, um, factor to it. Almost. Yeah, but it also it's complete in a way. It's doing yeah. one thing. It's saying it's saying. Now the the, the I, I based the structure of Starship Troopers, in you know when I was writing it on the structure of of uh, World War II propaganda movies that the that the studios made between 1941 and 1944. You know, um, mm. uh, action in the North Atlantic, uh, things like this. We don't really talk about those movies anymore, but. They had a very particular structure, and they were made during a conflict, and they didn't have an endpoint. So as, as, as Starship ends, they'll keep fighting, they'll win. Those movies did, too. So they're a really particular form. Now, I do think, historically, what I find historically interesting was that Robert Heinlein was a huge movie fan. He was stationed in D.C. Uh, he was in naval intelligence uh, working there uh, along with L. Ron Hubbard. But uh, the, the, um, uh, he watched all those movies, and he watched, also watched, must have watched All Quiet on the Western Front, which was a big hit right before the war. And All Quiet on the Western Front, if you look at it, and Ramakan, Ramagan, the, uh, the, the, I'm saying that wrong, the author of All Quiet on the Western Front and another book called Three Comrades, I think uh, really is where Starship Troopers, the structure and the story comes from. And when I modified the structure a little bit to involve uh, more of a, a triangle, a romantic triangle, it actually falls into line with another World War I book that the same guy wrote called Three Comrades. It's fa- it's, it, so I, I think Heinlein, I, I think it all gets traced back to, those movie, to movies and books, of, uh, books and movies of, that were made of them later on. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. What would I do with uh, the new one? I think you could do, I can imagine you could do a new one that was a more serious uh, version of the book without the political commentary, but I don't know that that interests me that much. Um, 
the spectacle of the giant creatures and the ridiculous bloodshed and all of that stuff, I don't know if in this world of CG that where you can do all that stuff pretty easily, just seeing a bunch of different creatures fighting might not be interesting enough right now for me. But other people might like it. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about, like, because supposedly uh, what little we know of this upcoming remake is that they're trying to stick very close to the book, but they also want to go for a PG-13, which is kind of, like, has me worried. Well, you know, I, I think that, that, that uh, you know, again, I, I'm not, I, when, 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 when we had a whole, whole discussion about PG versus R, we always wanted to do it R, and it was always going to be R with Paul, and I, I finally concluded that, you know, the, I, I mean, after we did it, I'm, I'm very glad. Maybe we would have made more money if we were PG, but I don't think necessarily so. The movie wouldn't be better. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. You could do a, you know, th their idea, as I understood it at a certain point, was they said to do kind of officer and a gentleman, Johnny Rico as the officer and a gentleman version huh. of sci-fi movie. And so, you know, maybe you could do that, a romantic picture about, kids coming up together in the service and one of them becoming a, 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 a an officer and and all that that means you know uh maybe it's not really what Heinlein's about right. but 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 it's that's okay you know i mean that that would be you could, i can imagine you could do that i'm not sure who goes to see that movie though no. because <laughs> the, the, the in, in the normal world you're going to get a female audience because it's a date movie and like Officer and Gentleman did, and the guys will come to the date movie because there's a little action, you know. In in the original Officer and Gentleman, there was a big fight with the the yeah. sergeant, you know that kind of stuff. So maybe that would be a winning. You could make a you can make that work, I think, if you wanted to. It it doesn't. You know, I'm not sure. I I think the more the more difficult thing is is can someone in Hollywood right now embrace the you know, the, can they, is there something to say about the military that is also, because at the time we were making that, there was, that was kind of a statement about American adventurism. You could look at it that way and in the world and, and that kind of thing, because it was right after Gulf War One and before Gulf War Two, And so, you know, there was some, there was a political context. Right now, it's more difficult to know what the political context is for a, a, a movie, a, an American movie about, about about the military, and so I'm not sure which you'd have to have an. I guess what I'm saying is whoever writes that has to have an attitude, a strong feeling about that, and you know what I would do right now is I would say, oh, this is a more complicated geopolitical or galactic political world you would have to make with different players. You'd go back to the book and probably. Uh, do something with the skinnies if you know that. Yeah. And and then it becomes and then it's probably a model more on um, uh, special operations world that we have going right now. And I kind of track that stuff a little bit too because I'm interested in how this stuff is done. And the and that's a different that's a whole different military thing. The 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 we're going to go way off in the weeds here, guys. Sorry. The Starship Troopers world that we did was based about is, is World War II. Paul and I decided that even the designs of the ships mm. and the notion that there are guys running around with rifles and machine guns and stuff, that's a World War II model. The landing on Clendatho is a, is a D-Day landing. Yep. Yep. And uh, one of the things that I played around with in writing the other ones that were made for a lot less money um, was that they're all kind of little snapshots of different American military engagements uh, you know, in, the 20, in the 20th century, really. 
And uh, um, so for Starship 2, which Phil Tippett directed for six, five and a half million dollars on a soundstage, we, we went after the Korean War and particularly like the Sam Fuller Korean War movies that he made on a soundstage at Fox mm-hmm. in 1954 or whatever he was doing. And then when I was doing Starship 3, I was playing around a little bit with Vietnam, I could feel politically and and you know how the soldiers were acting the war was going on longer now i would say if you were doing it and which is interesting is if you keep it in the timeline from when the movie was you know we we are now in this forever war right now so uh just to jump in and steal joe halderman uh, <laughs> uh, uh you know magic here a little bit the forever war is real and the, what i what i think is interesting about the forever war is what does it do to us and what does it do to the soldiers it does a lot of things to soldiers to be in battle all the time. Not, none of them mm-hmm. very good. But it also does things to uh, a society that's been at war for a long time. And one of the things I would say is, in the current situation, we're at war, and you know, you know, we're killing a lot of people right now. And we just don't even, we, we, none of us think about it. We're not acknowledging it. It's way under the surface. Mm. And I'm not saying we're doing it badly. It's maybe, you can argue that what we're doing is better than killing a lot of people on an industrial scale, which was how we began this century. This, I mean, the last century, it was just industrial war. And we don't do that anymore, which is a real improvement. But we do decide now to do targeted killings, which is also called assassination. And we yeah. do that on a regular basis. We just do it mm-hmm. all the time. And it goes to the White House as a list, and everybody has to sign on it. And so there's all sorts of people have signed off on each one of these uh, targeted killings. And it's, that's a new world that I haven't really seen explored, you know, with any, you know, other than you have some drone movies where you see that kind of stuff. But no one's had a, a larger thought about it yet, including me. But that would be interesting to get into. Right. See, that what would all seem that like it means would... and how we cope with that. That would seem like it would uh, kind of require the whatever reboot to kind of, like you said, go back to kind of what Heinlein was doing with the implication of an intelligent, like, bl- uh, bug like species. Yeah, no, you'd have to play of, with yeah. the but you'd have to play the bugs as well. I mean, the the first movie suggests that they're a lot smarter than you think. Mm, yeah. And and you don't really know who you're dealing with yet. Um, and so I think it's all possible to to within the the currently set uh, Starship, what they call the metaverse of the, of Starship, you could probably play that game. But you could also just reboot the whole thing and and have new bugs and have new everything, whatever you want to do. That would take a vision and. I think you really need someone who has a strong feeling about it to guide a vision like that. And I wouldn't make that movie until you had that. I think the, you know, you can't just treat it like, I, I actually think that's true of everything. I think that the Marvel Universe has a very strong vision behind it uh, in, in Kevin Feige, uh, who really seems to have a feeling about what is right and what is important, and he's got it all. He, he really... There's a firm hand behind that thing. And then you look over at DC and, oh, my God, they don't know what to do. <laughs> and so I think that could very easily happen with movies like RoboCop and Starship as well, yeah. where you have to have somebody who really has a good feeling for it to, to make them right. Because I think, you know, with all of our uh, problems, we, between Paul and I and John Davison, who were on all, both of those movies, uh, you know, that was kind of a good working team who had a feeling for what we were doing. John Davis in particular, quietly, just always would be like, you know, he would be the one who always, when you had some weird, wild idea that no one else liked, he'd be go, eh, that's a good idea. 
should do that. <laughs> and that's a very unusual person to have working with you in in our in our in our how in our Hollywood system. Um, on the whole, like going back to just quickly on the Starship Troopers, like the idea of a reboot or whatever. Uh, in this kind of day and age where studios are now kind of going for like soft reboots, like basically like sequels to movies like thirty mm-hmm. years later, do you think that? bringing back the old cast like Casper and them could actually work as a sequel should they go that route or um well i think they can and uh i i i i think i have a uh I, i'm not i'm not i don't want to jinx anything but we are we are talking about uh trying to do a television show that is based on um that idea right. i think what what you get with you and and as you know uh as you probably know from the press, uh, Bloomcamp wants to bring Weller back, and what you get with when you do that, with if you use the DNA of the old properly in the new, is you get something that seems to have a continuity, and and the fans can embrace. They can embrace the brand. It's not too different. And so, and you know what you realize is, you know, when I was sitting writing, you know, 30 years later, writing, rewriting the. Uh, uh, writing the second draft of, uh, of, uh, of uh, our sequel to RoboCop, which was called The Corporate Wars at the time, and is now called uh, RoboCop Returns, uh, I kept hearing Peter's voice, you know, is why Peter adds a lot to that. I've written a bunch of stuff. I've written all sorts of things with Casper now as Johnny Rico, and he's a, it's a gas to write him because he's, he gives you that character. He gives you more than you think. He's the tone... As soon as he shows up, the tone kind of comes with him a little bit. I think it's because he's ridiculously handsome, and he's got this buoyant, can-do attitude, which is, you know, which is what Johnny Rico is, and, and he, you know, it just, he brings a lot of the brand comes with him. And I think it's very easy, it's been too easy to dismiss these things in the past, uh, and sometimes it... Sometimes you can reboot something, but sometimes, as with, say, uh, Total Recall, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, especially like if you'd uh, had Arnold in there, it would have felt like Total Recall right away. Exactly, and I, just like an example too of like the whole like bringing back the old cast and stuff. Like the recent Halloween movie that made like tons of money and it brought back you know the... uh, that 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 was not unhelpful to the cause. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, uh, also speaking on that really quick too, uh, has there been any plans to do another animated film? Because I know you did uh, the Traitor of Mars, which was pretty cool. It came out uh, a couple years ago. Well, we'll see. I, you know, that was a whole deal we did with, uh, uh, that was a Sony deal that had to do with a Japanese design studio, a Japanese animation studio. Um, and I was involved a little bit more in this one than in the one before. It was an interesting experience, I would say, for the amount of money they had and what they were able to pull off was astounding. Oh, yeah. And uh, Shinji uh, Aramaki is a really, really talented guy. Again, you know, if, you, if you're hearing one th- trend here is the trick is you've got to work with really talented people. And, and I think everything that's been good about the things we've done have always been because there's been somebody who's been a real collaborator creatively, usually a director and sometimes a producer, that's really, had a, really made sure it was good. And so I think that worked out pretty well. I think the speed at which you have to do these things uh, that they have to work at sometimes it makes it harder to do that kind of stuff uh, and make things turn out as clearly or as you want them to. So I don't know. I would probably not do... What I've learned is 
don't you can't do a cheap Starship Troopers movie. No. And you can try, but it doesn't really get you very far. So I would say, unless there's enough money, I, I'm not that interested in doing that again. Right. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we had another question, kind of jumping over to something. Uh, we're not sure if you're familiar with the 1995 Peter Weller film called Screamers. Is that anything you've... Uh, yeah, I know. I know Screamers. I've seen. I think I've seen most of it over time because it was all, always on TV. But I didn't have anything to do with it, uh, as you as you must know. Yeah. Except that I like Peter. <laughs> well, we were, we were just in a, we wanted to know if if that would be anything that if that might interest you if you were trying to interested in rebooting that property possibly. Uh, it's kind of it was kind of an interesting film that kind of felt like uh, Terminator meets the Thing or something. So it was, you know, I, I, I would be, I couldn't really answer that now unless I looked at it. Uh, but it's a good idea. I, I, I immediately thought, oh, I better look at that. Right. Since now we live in a world where it's always about brand. If if you don't have brand, yeah. they don't even want to talk to you. Seems like. Okay, uh, I think that is all that we had. Actually, all the questions we had. Uh, so I guess, yeah, that kind of wraps everything up. Thank you again for sitting down to talk to us. Okay, I hope some of that is useful, and, and if it sounds ridiculous when you uh, <laughs> uh, look at the transcript, just take it out, please. No worries. We got you. Thank you so much, Ed, for taking the time again. It was great speaking okay. to you. Okay, good luck, guys. Look forward to talking again. All right. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Bye for now.